0: Welcome to the SENDcast, my name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the SENDcast. We started this podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. There is lots of stuff you can go and read, but we're all extremely busy. The phrase every teacher is a teacher of SEND is currently an ideal, not a reality. We created the SENDcast to try and help solve that problem, to help make schools more inclusive and to help teachers be teachers of SEND. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to schools and parents. Every week on the Sendcast, I have a different guest on that has come along to talk about a topic they are passionate about. And this week we're discussing helping children to listen. And I'm discussing this with Sarah Billingham. Sarah is a specialist teacher who supports children's communication needs. Now, before we get started, I'd like to remind you about B Squared. Over the last 25 years, we have supported schools to support students with SEND. Our assessment products are used in over 15,000 schools around the world to help show small steps of progress, with around 1,700 using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started a couple of years ago with a virtual send conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. If you want to find out more about B-squared and how we can help your school, head over to our website, which is www.bsquared.co.uk. There's lots of information for you to go and read, and you find out so much, but you can also book a free online meeting to find out how we can support you. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing helping children to listen. Joining me this week is my guest, Sarah Billingham. Sarah has been working with children with speech and language needs for over 16 years in mainstream and specialist settings. She is a specialist teacher who supports children's communication needs and supports parents to navigate the various SEN systems. Welcome to the show, Sarah.
1: Thanks so much, Dale. It's really great to be here. Really excited to talk about today's topic.
0: So as a parent, we know our children... I I, I wrote, don't listen... I went, no, but let's be nice. Don't always listen. And they don't do all the little things we tell them to do. But listening is fundamental, but it doesn't happen automatically. You don't just wake up being able to listen one day, do you?
1: No, we don't automatically learn to listen. And I think it's something that both as parents and teachers, we have to be really cognizant of. I reckon if we each had a pound for every time we'd said, are you listening to me? Please, can you listen to me? Why aren't you listening to me? I can tell you're not listening to me. Or any variation on that theme we would be very very wealthy people but often we assume that our children understand what listening means and therefore know how to listen but actually it's a skill that needs breaking down and we need to teach our children to listen
0: listening is there's a hearing it and then there's a doing is that's part of listening i always say to my children segue as we always do on this the word sorry, what does it mean? Because so you say sorry, but what does it really mean? They look at me confused. I means I didn't mean to, and I won't do it again. So if you're saying sorry, that's what you're saying. I didn't mean to do it, and I won't do it again. So don't say sorry, then do it again. Listening is I'm hearing and I'm doing. That's part of listening.
1: Totally, but I think what the hearing and what the doing looks like, we can be really specific about what those things are. And I think we can't underestimate how important listening is. We know that it's fundamental for language development, for example, so our ability to learn and understand words. It's also fundamental for our speech sound development, so we need to listen to the sounds in order to be able to mimic them and copy them, use them effectively. But of course, it's by listening to other people that we learn from them, that we learn from their experiences, that we learn from the information that they're sharing with us. And so without listening in whatever you know, form that comes, it's, it really limits our learning opportunities if we're finding listening hard.
0: Listening, I said, is the listening and the doing. Is it two stages? Or are you going to say, actually, there's 44 stages because... <laughs>
1: I mean, listening is is quite a complex process because it's not only the, as you say, the hearing elements, but it's how you process the language and then decide what you're going to do as a result of that and then action that. But I think in terms of keeping it simple so that children can understand what listening is, there are some behaviors that help us to listen. So, for example, looking at the person who's talking, we're better able to listen to somebody if we're giving them our attention. If we're looking at them, we can see their body language, their facial expression, the way that their mouth is moving. All of those things help us to understand what they're talking about. But also, the looking is really important for the person who's doing the talking. When you're looking at them, that's when they know you're listening to them. So it's important for both people. And that's just one example of how we can be really specific about what listening looks like. So. Looking at the person who's talking is a really important element, or looking at the thing that they're showing you and doing that referencing between looking at the thing that they're showing you, looking back at the person, looking back to the object. That looking behavior is a really important element of listening.
0: I'm going to throw in the autism flag of not necessarily making eye contact, but some different. Yeah, you don't have to make eye contact, but it is showing that you're looking in that or some way of showing there is
1: listening. Absolutely. So sometimes that can be looking in the direction of somebody without giving them full eye contact, but sort of turning your head in in the right direction.
0: Or it could just be um, looking away from what they were primarily doing. So they can't look at you. If they're watching TV, they can just look away from the TV while they listen. That's their
1: version of listening. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to have that conversation with our children who have a diagnosis of autism. About why it is that people expect people to look, you know, to be looking at them when they're listening. It's okay if we need to adapt that to support that person, but it's but breaking it down and explaining why it is that people expect that I think is helpful because they're thinking I can listen to you without looking at you, but it's sort of helping them to understand. But the other person is seeking a bit of feedback. They they are wanting you to look so that they know that you're listening.
0: I found when my my daughters were young, they would. I'll be talking to them and you just see their heads drifting off or they'll be playing with something. And you sit there and you just go, right, what did I just say? And they look at you blankly and go, I'm okay, going, oh, like I used to get really wound up. And I used to be really mean parent. I used to basically not make them stand to ascension, but they had to uh, make eye contact with me and their hands had to be next to their, down by their sides with nothing in them said, right, you're showing you're listening. By not doing that, you actually have to concentrate on me. And I know you don't like this, but until we get to this point where you understand that when I'm listening, you've got to show some level of stopping what you're doing and paying attention to me, we'll do it the hard way. It might not have brought me parent of the year. (laughs) Somebody might be going, that's the worst thing you can do, Dale. Don't, you should never (laughs) do that. It got me part way there.
1: Not at all, Dale. I think that it's... It's actually one of the important aspects of supporting children to listen is making sure you've got their attention first. So actually asking them to stop what they're doing, asking them to turn towards you or to put down what they're playing with. Doing that at their level, if you can, you know, getting down to their level so they can easily see your face so that, you know, you're, you know there's nothing between the two of you to be able to, to give those instructions, for example that whole idea of getting a child's attention first is really critical for being able to support their listening. Definitely. And it is,
0: is again, if you go into the ADHD world, they might be fidgeting for various reasons. They might be and again, stimming. There's various things like that, which you do have to take into consideration. But for a typical, air quoting, typical child, is they should be able to show some form of attention to you. And it is, we do it as adults. Yeah. You'll be sitting there in the kitchen, you're cooking dinner, your partner walks in, says something, you're still cooking. You just literally go, oops, I've no idea what I've just been asked to do. I'm in the trouble now. So it is, it is, there are things you can do and you'll learn it with every person you're with that my wife will talk to me. My wife is a nightmare for this. She'll start talking before I'm actually listening. So she'll be giving me down, you know, she'll just, la, 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 la. And I'm going, i got none of that because I wasn't listening. Whereas I will often go, tour, and then say what I want. Because I've just found saying someone's name with a slight pause gets a certain, it's like, it's like talking to Alexa. Alexa, <laughs> it's like talk to your children. It just, it just, I found saying the name at the beginning gets that slight attention and then a slight pause because... You are literally trying to get them to stop whatever they're really interested in to suddenly stop that and pay attention to you because you think you're more important than what they're doing.
1: Yes. And that interrupting their, their line of thinking can absolutely be done by calling somebody's name. For some people, that might not be enough. So if you're calling them from another room or from the other end of the room, that might not interrupt what they're paying attention to, particularly if there's a screen involved, your child's watching TV or they're on an iPad, it might not be enough. But going up close to them, you know, gently patting a child on the shoulder, all of those sorts of things to interrupt what they're thinking about and shift their attention to you. I love that you're laughing at this. Shift their attention to you before you start talking is so important.
0: So hands up if you are a parent who was concerned their child might have a hearing issue because you're trying to get their attention and they don't listen. Yeah, we've all been there. (laughs)
1: i think hands up if you're a wife that's worried your husband has hearing
0: difficulty this works for husbands as well trust me (laughs) trust me this is the best way and i my children still have these nicknames so my daughter should be on the side of the room repeating getting her name louder and louder and it's just nothing is working well i learned i could easily i could just whisper chocolate and her head would spin like it was in The Exorcist. It would spin that fast, snap at me and look at me. And then she'd twig that i have been trying to get her attention. So she'd heard her name. What she was doing was more important to her. But at the moment I said chocolate, she span. So one of my children, the nickname is chocolate. The other one, Haribo. And I could whisper it. They're 15. I could be in a restaurant and I can whisper it. And they will smile because it goes in.
1: Dale, what's your, what's your wife's trigger word for you? <laughs> uh,
0: well, washing up gets me out the door. <laughs> it's the way she says my name. That's get uh, that's negative. But no, chocolate works with me as well. But yeah, anything like so something. Because when you're calling their name, it's a name. But yeah, it was chocolate, as you said. It was like saying the whispering chocolate across this room. I and mean, we were literally going, I'm worried about hearing it. I go, watch this. Chocolate. Bing. Nothing wrong with her hearing. She's just more interested in what she's doing. That's it. And it was, yeah, it's fascinating the psychology of that. Going, oh, oh, oh God, why are you not listening? Chocolate. And there we go. Perfect. It's just she couldn't. She didn't have. Again, you you sit there and look back at it. She didn't have the ability to listen to change her attention. She didn't understand the social etiquette. Of whatever you're doing, somebody else wants to talk to you and you have to stop. None of that was there. And it is complex.
1: Yeah, and also the, the attention control to be able to shift your attention from something you're enjoying into something that might be less motivating, like being asked to tidy up. Um, you know, that that also comes as part of the stages of development. So we need to be realistic of our expectations of young children or of children who have difficulties with attention in terms of thinking about... Sometimes us getting more and more worked up and getting louder and louder in the way that we're saying somebody's name or the way we're trying to get their attention is unhelpful. It's thinking about how can I help them to listen to me in this moment? And as I said, getting their attention is going to be one of those things. But it's also things like reducing distraction during the time that you want to talk to them. You know, I think the pause button on live TV is the greatest invention of all time. But for my three-year-old, who I would say is generally a reasonably good listener, she cannot listen to me if one of her shows is on TV. She, she she, She might shift her attention to me momentarily, but she's not listening to what I'm saying. So, you know, pausing the TV, turning down the radio, or even closing the door if there's background noise from another room really helps somebody to listen and draws their attention to she she is saying something she really needs me to listen to right now. And just being mindful of that and those bits around environment and how much is happening at the point that your child needs to listen makes a really big difference. And we can't always control how much noise or busyness there is in, in a particular environment. But what we can do is change our child's position within that. So an example I, I often use is if You're in a busy place and you're trying to get your child's attention. Position yourself so that there's nothing behind you. So you're standing in front of, you know, a a blank wall or something that's not very interesting. So that when you're turning them to look at you to give the instruction or the important bit of information, they're not distracted by all of the people that are walking past and those sorts of things. Because all they can really see in that moment is you. Um, So reducing both kind of sound distraction but visual distraction are both, you know, things that are helpful.
0: Definitely. Um, just going back to uh, things which were on my wife, couldn't listen, couldn't hear anything I said if Hugh Jackman was on TV. That <laughs> also is a similar thing. <laughs> I have to find the pause button. Um, or Hugh Ackman, as we now what call him since National, uh was it, Nice at Museum, two or three, one of them, Hugh Jackman. Um yeah. But no, it is, and it is, I think, yeah, finding that quiet thing. And there's some things, a number of times I, I, I work with communication people on these podcasts and Anne Harrod Welsh and Wendy Lee number of times I've sat there and as you said something, i am gone, that's why that worked. Oh, yeah, obvious now. And it is. It is finding a quiet corner. So sometimes you just might find in a supermarket there's an aisle with less people in. The clothing aisle is quite good because the clothes absorb the sound. It's not as reflective as being in the fridge aisle, which is quite noisy. But, yeah, just ma- moving somewhere else, um, finding that quiet corner, the distraction. I always find um, coming down to their level. So, yeah, squatting, kneeling type thing. Um, and, and saying that, yeah, is very important. Yeah.
1: And I think if we really want our children to listen to us and to be able to process what we're saying, we need to be mindful about the amount of language that we're using. So really thinking about how much language can my child process and breaking down what we're wanting to say into those bite-sized chunks. And this is even more important if your child is stressed out or emotional. The amount of language we can process when we are upset is much less than we can process the rest of the time and we'll all have had this experience we're getting stressed out about a work meeting or something like that and we're thinking about that getting worked up and somebody's telling us something and it is just not going in and that's because in that moment our language processing is reduced we just can't take it in at that time
0: i would literally say our focus is elsewhere but it is that's what you say but it is this language processing and i think um, and I was going to say it, but you said it first. Sorry. Yeah. Um, is choosing when to give information. Yeah. So the typical one is your child coming home from school, take your shoes off, put them away, hang your bag up, go get me your lunch, do all this. They've literally walked in their door and just gone, oh, I'm home. And they're stressed and they're pent up in the day. We, we have to decompress and all that lot. So you saying to you, which is important for you at that moment, I need this, I need this, I've got to get the washing on, I've got to get the lunches done, that's important for you. But for them, they just want 10 minutes alone on their phone to decompress and unwind from that stressful day. So it is, we do have as parents, we don't like it, but we do have choice over when we do these things. And without realizing we do it when it's right for us and we've got to work out... And that's generally what I've learned as my children have got older is I don't dictate to them when I learn from them and I ask them when I can do things. Um, so yeah, don't um, ask them when they've got home from school to do stuff. It's, it's finding, and you'll learn your children. It's if you've got to ask them questions, if you know something's coming, let's say there's a school trip coming up and my daughter gets a bit anxious. We're doing something this week. So I've, I'm prepping her beforehand but I've got to choose the right time to have the conversation that her emotions are low, are in a good zone. She's comfortable. She's happy. She can actually think about and answer my questions. She's not in the middle of something else. She's not stressed by that. I have to choose my timing for these conversations. Um, and hopefully that that will change over time that as, as they get handled on things, they can like, you can do it when it's more right for you. But I think a lot of the time, I don't think you. I think if you haven't done this you will not you underestimate how having a conversation at um, five past three or six pm the exact same conversation can have a very different result
1: Yes, and I think also we equip our children by teaching them the skills for how to handle something when it comes at the point that they're not ready for it so teaching them the appropriate things to say in those moments so you're asking them about the school trip and then being able to you know, in a polite, appropriate, respectful way, say, Dad, it's not the right time. I do want to have this conversation with you, but I need 10 minutes first. Um, And, and, you know, that's quite a mature skill, but actually um, recognizing that that is something that's learned, that we have to teach. It doesn't happen by itself. And one of the huge things that takes us on that journey of learning is by us modeling those behaviors for our children. Um, And we forget that sometimes. You know, we say things like, not right now, Um, but actually modeling the sort of phrasing that would be appropriate in that situation. Or even on a more basic level for younger children, modeling, putting something away in order to listen. Oh, you want to talk to me? I'm going to put my phone down so I can give you my attention. Or, oh, you're wanting to talk to me? Let me turn the radio down so I can listen properly. Um, And it sounds silly to be walking around like Captain Obvious stating what you're doing, but But our children learn from that narration.
0: But also, and again, again, I'm laughing as as you tell me, I'm literally picturing times when I was right in the middle of something and my daughters would come up to me and ask me something which is really important to them. But emotionally, uh, I've got a burst pipe. Um, the cat's been whatever. I'm I'm literally I'm emotionally invested in this. You come to this, and my reaction wasn't always positive. And I'd sit there and just go, why is it always that? Why is it when that happens that's when the child comes along and it's like that? And I sat there and I'd I'm quite analytical and I'd have to go and apologize. And but after a while, I got better at catching myself. So I wouldn't erupt at them. I could just go. Can you give me five minutes? Let me finish this. I will come and find you. If you do say that, you have to go and find them. It can't be an empty <laughs> promise.
1: <laughs> yes, following through is important. <laughs> following through. Um, but,
0: it, so, but also, we don't again,
1: have to... Oh, sorry, you can't. It is,
0: when they come to us, and I'm in the list, and I do that emotional reaction. What do you think walking into their room saying, you need to tidy your room? It's the same situation. They're emotionally invested in something they're doing with their friends you've walked in, and they're going to respond badly. So it's picking, you're you the adult. Don't just try and lord over, I'm the adult, you're the child, do as I say. It is a partnership, it is a conversation, and it is teaching them that I, I'll choose a better time. And you might, and again, this goes to the whole thing of, Choice and given the element of choice and things like that, but it is working out, okay, so it's not a good time I've just the door she's having lots of fun. I'll come back in ten minutes, or actually lunch is in half an hour, she'll be down in half an hour. I'll ask her over lunch. It's just just changing that time in the conversation will get a much better response, and that's the thing it's that listening is the hearing and doing. I think choosing your timing makes that whole process better.
1: But also I think we don't have to hold ourselves to a ridiculously high standard. None of us are perfect parents or perfect teachers all the time. We're, we're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna snap at our kids and need to go and give that apology. But there's power in what we say in the apology. Do we use it as a teachable moment? And say, next time you want to talk to me about something, this is how you, know, this is how you can tell it's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I'm on the phone, that tells you it's not a good time. If you want to talk to me about something, you can ask me. Is this a good time? (laughs) Um, You know, there's uh, not to lecture our children, but to actually show them that there are. You know, I've made a mistake and I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have reacted that way. But let's both make an effort to make this work better next time.
0: And And I also in that I I generally point out that I'm not angry with them. I'm angry at the situation. They came in and I couldn't control it, but I should have been. So I'm not angry with you. It was I'm angry at the situation, and I shouldn't. I shouldn't be carrying. So again, it's using the. I snapped at you, but I wasn't snapping at you. It was that made me snap. And again, helping them understand that we can't, as you said, can't. We're not models. We're not perfect. We aren't, blah, blah, blah. we do make mistakes, but it is omitting those mistakes and modeling. That model it is, you, you think, I think some people think they've got to be perfect. They've got to know all the answers and everything. No, your children are watching you more than they know, more than you know. And they, you are modelling everything it bad. It, I think there was an advert years ago for the. Um, I think it was like smoking. It was like there was an adult doing it, and there's a child copying them with a stick or something. And they do whatever you do, they see it as the right thing to do. So if you if you just do have conversations at bad times for them, they will do the same to everyone else. And it is we've got to be much more aware of our impact on them in these situations um, and show them actually. And sometimes I sit there and go, I'll say, I've heard of having, I am going to ask you earlier, but you're having lots of fun with your friends, so I've waited. Just saying that might, might take 10 seconds, but it might sit there going, oh, you can wait on things. And it's asking how important is it and things like that. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's lots of things, it's so many teachable moments, but I think listening is hugely crucial, hugely important. That's why we're doing a whole podcast. Um, but I know as an adult, I'm still not doing it right.
1: Oh no, I think, uh, <laughs> I just reaffirmed that for you, but I think that <laughs> with any skill like listening or any social communication skills, for example, they are Muscles that need to be exercised. We have to practice to get better at all of these skills. And that's a lifelong journey. And, you know, we never, we never get to, you know, the perfect point of being brilliant at it because at any given time, we're juggling a large number of things. So some days we do better at it than others. But what we're doing for our children is breaking it down into small achievable steps so that they can exercise those muscles, and get better and better at these skills. And it's about being really clear and specific. So for young children, there's a brilliant um, program called Teaching Children to Listen. Uh, it's a program designed for children in key stage one. It's written by two speech and language therapists um, called Liz Spooner and Jackie Woodcock. And it's a six-week program where the children essentially play games, which get more difficult over the period of six weeks but which focus on four listening rules. Um, and one of those rules is looking at the person who's talking. Um, but there are other things that you know we can make really clear. So the four rules are um, being quiet so that you can listen. And that also shows somebody that you're um, giving them full attention. Looking at the person who's talking, listening to all of the words, which is something that we all struggle with. <laughs> We all pick up bits and pieces of something and half follow something through. But that whole idea of listening to all of the words, and that's a prompt that I give to my girls a lot before I give them instructions, particularly if the instruction has more than one part. I'll say to them, I need you to listen to all of the words. And then I might break down for them, you know, if I need them to collect two things, I might even show on my fingers the number of things they need to collect and being really clear. But listening to all of the words is a really important part of that. And their fourth rule is about being still. Now, this might sound like an odd rule for listening because we know that you don't actually need to be still to listen. And for children who have ADHD, for example, or who struggle to concentrate, they may actually listen better when they're moving. But what they mean by this is about being mindful that you're not distracting other people. So it's okay to be moving and listening at the same time as long as you're not doing it in a way that's getting in other people's way. So if you're, for example, um, enjoying um, playing with your fiddle toy and that's helping you to listen, it's fine if you're doing that quietly. But if you're banging it on the table, that's making it more difficult for your friend to listen. And so it's being mindful about how your behaviors impact on other people's ability to listen. Um, So that's just one example of a breakdown of how we can be really clear about what listening looks like, particularly for younger children. Whereas for older children, that's going to look quite different. You know, it's listening for specific bits of information, being able to take notes. You know, it's going to look different as you get older. But the more we practice these skills, the better we get at them.
0: So one of the things, and I think as we often do this as adults, but you you often see, I remember seeing it in in children, is... um, your teacher we're going to talk about a country now and suddenly this child is going i've been to a country and they just want to share what's in their head and it's got to come out and sometimes you'll be with someone and you'll say a story and all they've thought of going i can't wait for sarah to stop tel- talking i've got something to say and i'm not really listening to anything you say i'm just listening to you for, to either stop talking or allow me a pause to what i want into a conversation and that's a that's a really interesting you're not really listening. You're just waiting for that person because you've got something in your head. And that's quite a challenge to overcome.
1: It is a challenge to overcome. And I've but seen a great- I completely segued the whole listening no, thing no, not here. At it's all. a whole uh, different thing. No, it's not a whole different thing because it's bringing awareness to the child about how that's impacting on their listening. And a great strategy that I've seen for this in a classroom situation was a class teacher who had a picture of a car park um, in the corner of her interactive whiteboard. And if, for example, the teacher was saying, today we're going to learn about a country and Johnny pipes up, oh, last week I went to Peru, she would write Peru on the car park and say, brilliant, Johnny, we're going to park that idea and we're going to come back to it. And then she would carry on with what she was saying, but Johnny knows it's okay, she's coming back to to talking about Peru. And that's a very visual, specific example of that. But over time, that's what we're trying to teach children to do, is to Park the idea, not forget about it, but park the idea. So we will, you will have the opportunity to talk about that. We are going to come back to it. But in the meantime, keep listening.
0: <laughs> but it is my, my daughter is oh, oh it's always fun when you, you have your two children and you ask your first one, how was your day? And the second one's go, oh, oh, I really want to let this out. And you're like, get to you in a bit. Well, it's her turn. And you go to that, you're right. What was it? And she goes, I've forgotten it. And it makes her feel really rubbish because he had something which was really amazing. So uh, yeah, I think something like the board, But also, I've I've heard of people. I'm um, giving that child post-it notes, um, and my daughter. I just think, like, give me the first line. Let's just tell me. I go right. I've got to hold on to that in my head now, and then we'll finish that. And then we come to you. It's like, so what happened in PE? <gasps> and off she goes. it's, it's that if, if they let it out, it's gone. Um, but I think yeah, having to listen to everything before they respond is is. So they, they might hear the first thing and they got something in their head. It's like, you need to listen to all of it to make sure you've heard the first three words. I've got another 30 or to say in steps. You might have an idea for that. But when I say step two or step three, you'll realize that your idea doesn't work. So let's listen to all of it. And that, that is a challenge when these children who are very eager, and I was a very eager child. It was literally, I want to be the first person to solve this. I want to be the first, I want to get it right. I was really competitive And it is, it's actually realizing that actually when you listen to the whole thing, what you initially thought was wrong. And that is all part of this listening, isn't it? It is all, you need to listen to everything that's being said. Um, And sometimes in podcasts, I think we're not together, we're remote. And I'm listening to you. And sometimes I'm definitely listening to you. Don't take this as any rude. And sometimes I'm just looking at my uh, information you've sent over and I'm skimming through that because I know roughly what you're saying. But at that time, I'm not fully listening to you. And, there's, and so occasionally you'll just pause and you look at me and I'm going, oh, oh, I, I, didn't, I, oh, I wasn't know oh, I'm caught now. Um, and that's the thing. So I'm trying to listen, but there's other stuff I'm trying to do to make sure I'm involved in the conversation, which is also things like that. And sometimes, as I'm often laughing as you're talking, I'm thinking of something in my own world which relates to this, which then gets me off in tangents. I'm thinking about that more than I'm listening. And I'm an adult and I'm struggling with it.
1: Oh, totally. It's a a complex (laughs) skill. But one of our skills as the adult in the interaction with children is being really proactive in watching their listening response. So at the point that you're losing them, being aware of that (laughs) so that you can pause at that point, find out whatever it is that's getting in the way for them. They're now thinking of a funny story or something else has come up and tuning them back in. So, you know, it's, it's being a really active listening partner that you might be the person who's talking, but you've got to monitor that the person you're talking to is following everything that you're saying. And of course, if you're talking to a group of people, that's increasingly difficult. But it's really important in that adult-child interaction that you're really mindful of, at what point do they need help to stay on track?
0: And I think there is that whole, you can get them to repeat things back to you. But it is, especially when you talk to your kids. And you're going, right, so this weekend, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And they're literally hearing you. And they heard all the words. All they heard is we're going to Legoland. So I wake up next morning. When are we going to Legoland? It's like, tomorrow. Well, I want to go today. They weren't listening. So sometimes it is they've heard all the words, but they've got focused on one bit. And it is, um, undersc- make sure they listen, but also they've heard all the words. You said we're going, no, but it's also right. So when are we? It was almost like questioning. So we're going to Legoland. We're going this. We're doing this. We're going to Legoland on Sunday. Cool. When are we going to Legoland tomorrow? No, we're going on Sunday. So tomorrow, Saturday. Then you are kind of really spelling them out. Actually, this is what I've said, and you've. It's a bit abstract for you. Yeah, you give me a list of things. And I think we're doing them all tomorrow because that's tomorrow, isn't it? No, yeah, no, and, it's all spread and out. And one of
1: the reasons that that's really difficult is because the language concepts around time are concepts that are learned, you know, as we develop. But sometimes we're using those concepts with our children long before they fully understand those concepts of time. So often if I'm doing something like talking about what's coming up on the weekend or what's going to happen over the school holidays where things are outside of the routine, I will draw it out on a piece of paper as I'm talking about it so that my girls can see the order in which things are going to happen um, or the days of the week that they're going to happen on that kind of thing. I don't mean a fancy special drawing.
0: No, it just I'm needs just to be. I'm just giving
1: that. I'm helping them to see how that's organized in a visual way so that they've got something to hang that language onto.
0: My, my daughter's in secondary school, and she still kind of gets a bit caught up on when things are happening. So okay, right, in this evening, she's she coming at 2 o'clock. When are we going? Are we going? Yes. Yeah. like, no, no. It's, oh, that's hours away. It's like, yeah, I know it is. And then she just sits there almost like going, in her head, it's the next thing. So she's then almost waiting, which makes it everything, as you know, whenever you wait for something, it takes ages. So then I've got to distract her. And it is, it is all about helping her. You've got to understand I've given you information. How much have you heard? How much have you understood? Two different things. Um, And also, everything we generally talk about relies on context. So if I said to you, pass me, the knife you could pass me a butter knife a bread knife a knife a big knife a uh, pen knife it's lots of different knives but if you look at what i'm holding i'm holding a hot cross bun which hasn't been cut yet you might be going oh he probably wants a big knife to cut or he's got the butter in his hand he wants it gives you some knowledge so um and a lot of the time, if I said, oh, we're going to go for a uh, three-course meal tomorrow, you might be going, right, what am I going to wear? And you're thinking, "Upmarket." it. If I'm going to McDonald's, you'll be going, yeah, I'll wear this. Yet there's a whole load of context over the top of place and timing and things like that, which children don't get.
1: No, and I think back to my Captain Obvious example is that in the moments where those things go wrong, we have to point out the clues. So in the moment where you're wanting to butter your piece of toast and you ask your child to pass you a knife and they give you, you know, um, a paring knife or something, you can say to them, oh, brilliant, you've given me a knife, but let's look at what I'm, I need the knife for. What are the clues that can help you to think about what kind of knife I might need? And we have to you break see, just problem solving down.
0: I said big knife. You said paring knife.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Think of another type of knife. I'm running out of knives here. Um, i'm sure my children um, have no
1: idea what a paring knife is so it was a bad example i was um, on the spot <laughs> like,
0: wow what sort of house are you, you, you live in up with nigella
1: i do i can't cook at all dale i can't cook at all
0: but you've got a paring
1: knife um, <laughs> i realized you might ask me what a paring knife is and that i wasn't going to be able to explain it
0: <laughs> is i'm trying to work out is that the one which is a slightly weird lump which is to do with bones i think
1: i think it's the a little one? sharp one for
0: oh, okay cutting
1: but i could be wrong
0: Answers oh, is on a postcard, everyone. Well, yes,
1: please. <laughs> I've
0: got no idea. But it is, it is. There's so many contextualized things we do or say that, um, and so the worst ones are time-based. The worst ones where you say something to your partner and she's got all the implications around it. You, they've understood me. But the kids, they don't get it because they, they've not got all the Contextualized clues. So we're going to the cinema at 4 p.m. Okay. My wife's going, What are you have for dinner? We... And she was just looking at you go, But well, she might say before or after. Yeah. Because she's on the page and she's basically asking, Are we going out for a meal and will it be before or after? And I might say the word meal deal, which basically means we're going to be really, really cheap and we're going to go get a Tesco meal deal on the way to the cinema and eat it in the cinema. But it's a whole load of things, and generally you're doing it because you want your parent, your kids to find out, so you're doing this slightly hidden cryptic, but there's a lot of you understood it all. Parent, kids are just, and somehow you've got to get them onto understanding this, and when someone says something, think about all the implications of around this. And you have to give your children a weather forecast every day, don't you, when they're at secondary school? It's like, right, it's raining this afternoon, right? Have you got your umbrella? No. Okay, so I should go back to the first bit. It's going to be raining this afternoon. Right. Have you got an umbrella? No. Okay, well, it's going to be raining. Do you think you might need your umbrella? Yeah. Oh, you kind of, we've gone through that. You think they're doing quite well at their subjects and stuff, but that context of it's going to rain. I've got no control over it, but I can prepare. I've just got to look a bit forward is a whole thing. And yeah, that context is the hardest bit because sometimes um you won't even know you're doing it
1: no and i I think there's a lot of things that we do automatically as adults um and this is where we have to be really careful in striking that balance between teaching our children to do something for themselves and doing it for them so if you every day just put the umbrella in your daughter's bag that learning would never come (laughs) because. You know, uh, for my three-year-old daughter, it's appropriate for me to put the coat in her nursery bag without necessarily having the rain conversation. But once your child's in secondary school, you've got to be thinking about, okay, how do I help them to pause and forward plan and think about what they might need?
0: Especially, so my my, my daughter struggles with certain things. So that thing, I spend my whole life trying to get her to be more prepared so she doesn't end up in these situations she just can't cope with. And I can't just say, here's your umbrella, it's going to rain today. She'll go, oh, okay. You've got, I'm trying to tease her and make her think. But it's just things like you'll go, it's, it's November, it's been raining all morning, and you go, oh, the sun's coming out. Should we go down the park, for a, go down the local woods for a walk? And I'll go, yeah. And I'll go, right, so that's, uh, right. I've got baggy jeans on, let's change them for slightly tighter ones. I need to put an extra pair of socks on because my walking boots rub. And then my daughter will walk down in flary jeans, put her walking boots on with no extra socks on, get two steps into the park, the trousers are muddy, her feet hurt. And you're like, but I told you, we're going for a walk in the woods and it's obviously December and it's obviously been raining. So why did you, because it's not important to you, and only that information, so you weren't listening or weren't thinking and you haven't experienced this yet. And it's that, it all comes down to what's important. So whispering chocolate to my daughter, that's important. Telling her we're going for a walk in the woods. There's no. I'm, I'm not interested in going for a walk in the woods. You're making me so I'm not going to put no thought into it. I don't care if it's rained. I don't care if it's that. So why would she care and put any logical processing in? And that's I think a lot of it I've learned is this interest. Is if they're interested they'll pay attention. If they're not, they won't. Motivation is a
1: huge factor. Absolutely an absolutely huge factor. Um, and I also think, you know, based on what you just described, there's a whole podcast in there on, you know, metacognition in terms of the questions we start to ask ourselves over time to prepare for things and to problem solve and so on. Um, but no, you're absolutely right. Motivation is key to so many things. And to some extent, we can't always get somebody motivated, but we can occasionally point out what might go wrong if they don't follow, you know, if they don't start to think it through. So for example, you know, when your daughter's wet up to her knees because the water's soaked all the way up her flare jeans, she is going to be uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> um,
0: and the second time she might not prepare and you'll see her walk downstairs and I go, Oh, you're going to go for wet legs again. And she'll look at and go, and she, again, it's that you, it's not a case of it happens once she'll suddenly get it. It's, it happened once. She may at that moment she's got it, but again, three weeks later, we're going through the same process again. I'll see her come down and go, go for wet legs again. And she'll realise and go and chase off. And you, you do find yourself, we've got past the having to dress them and do their seat belts, but we are going. They're teenagers. I'm still looking at their clothes. Are they appropriate for what we're doing? No. Have you got your big socks? Oh, go get them. Then you see their phone on the side because they've only thought of one thing and they've left their phone. So you put it in your pocket and you know. Five minutes down the road, your child will have a complete heart attack because they've left their phone at home because emotionally they weren't ready and weren't really paying attention and they have a huge heart attack and we have to go home and I, I become the saviour as I pull it out of my pocket. Um, but yeah, interest and we all learn from making mistakes. If you don't make mistakes, you're not learning.
1: Yeah, I really believe that. I, th- I think I think the very best bits of learning happen in the debrief after something's gone wrong.
0: of course i have lots of debriefs on a
1: catastrophic level but those small and often debriefs are really important
0: do you debrief after a family day out which hasn't gone well i do it internally not necessarily with my wife we don't sit there and have a planning meeting but i'll get into bed that night and just go today should have been a good day how did it go wrong and that's what you often have isn't it you think it's going to be a great day and it goes badly. I think when they're little, it's easy. As they get older, it gets more like this. Sorry. Um, (laughs) But it is, you sit there and you you just, you realize it is um, uh, your expectations of how they will respond. Um, Again, I remember once, I, again, not really understanding. I'm really excited. I bought donuts home. My kids were really excited. I got them present. It wasn't Lego. So it was the end of the world for them. But I'm thinking, how can I be wrong with donuts? Different levels. Um, but there was um, a podcast we did with Jamie Galpin and Claire Ward about certainty and uncertainty. And that obviously has a huge impact on emotions. And it is when I sat there and told them this is going to happen, if they use some previous experience of what's going to happen and decide X, Y, and Z, but that's not what happens, that led them to uncertainty and a day can go wrong. Um, but other times they just have uncertainty. So you might tell them this is going to happen and they're hearing the words and they can repeat them back to you, but they don't understand what that means. Um, and it, it, I always find it quite fascinating when you understand this and then you question your children. So you've told them information, you've said something, and you go, right, so tell me about this. And what they tell you is completely different. Um, we, we, you know, we all know elephants are big, aren't, don't we? Elephants are big. And you see them in books. They talk about how big the elephant is. And then we went to a zoo and I said to my children beforehand, when I realized they'd never seen an elephant, I said, how big is an elephant? They kind of held their hand up. And it would, I would say it was like a, a small Shetland pony type size, type thing, or a really big dog was how her hand was. And I was like, really? She went, yep, yeah, they're big, aren't they? She went, yes, they're big. And she put her hand up confidently saying, Big. And then we walk around the corner a couple of minutes later and there's a giant elephant and it is, you realize that until you, until they, they experience something for the first time, they won't understand it. They can't understand it. You have so much understanding of the world in your head and you're saying things, which are so clear to you, but for your child, who's never experienced it, never understood it, doesn't get all the stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm, this, week, this week, one evening, we're going to the O2 Arena in London. And most people listening will go, oh, traffic, parking, public transport. A load of issues around that fill your head because you've done it before or you've done a similar thing. And when you say that to an adult, oh, I went to the O2, the traffic, and they're going, oh, oh, was it the uh, – and you kind of all have a, a joint conversation. You've all gone through the pain. That doesn't happen when you talk to your children because they've never done that. They've never got that. And when they were doing it, the fact they were stuck in traffic was irrelevant to them because they weren't driving. They were just on their phone playing a game.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think one of the skills that we teach our children, and, you know, speech and language therapists spend a lot of time teaching children, I don't know how well it sits with your particular examples, but is around comprehension monitoring about really, you know, when you're listening, What might you need to ask or what might you need to do to make sure that you have fully understood? So you've talked about questioning your kids to kind of check their understanding, but also helping them to understand that there are things they can do to um, gain more understanding. So, you know, asking clarifying questions, for example, or, you know, Daddy, when you say big, how big do you mean? Like as big as a house, as big as a car, you know, so that, that would be one of the things is asking clarifying questions. But it would also be things like asking somebody to repeat something if you didn't hear it, and that kind of awareness of whether you have understood what you've listened to is is something that's really fundamental so you know both bringing awareness to our children of you might listen to something and not understand and that's okay but these are the things you can do about that
0: but it's is um so yeah I've asked questions I've I've done the thing and then I've realized my questions weren't asking a simple enough questions. So right today we're doing this. So it's lunchtime now we're going here in two hours. Cool. They go off. My sister comes, my, my daughter comes back half an hour later. Are we going yet? So we still got an hour and a half. Cause we're going yet. And you realize she, she's young. She doesn't tell the time. So how could I put two hours in a different way? So to help her understand. It's like, look, you can go watch an entire film and then come back. She's like, looks at me and sort of goes, "That's ages." It's like, yeah, you get it. The fact you've just looked at me and gone, "That's ages," you've understood how long this time period is. Whereas me saying two hours, and she goes, "Yes, you're right." How long do we go to the two hours? But she doesn't understand how long two hours is. And that's the thing, I've made those mistakes quite a few times. Yeah,
1: I've seen a couple of really nice visual examples of supporting children with some of those concepts, particularly around time, that are difficult. Um, and one was to do with going on a long car journey. So when you get that constant question of, are we there yet? Or you know, how long until we get there? And um, in this particular example, the parents had made uh, almost like a laminated road out of paper, which was stuck um, where their visors come down. And at the beginning of the journey, the car was at the beginning of the road, and then every kind of twenty minutes or so, they would just move the car a little bit further along. But if their child was saying, "Are we there yet?" you can then refer back to to the visual and say, "Well, look at where the car is on this road. Is it near the end yet? You know, are we halfway there yet? You know, all of those sorts of things." But just giving that point of reference can be really helpful.
0: And you you might be a parent going, "Oh, if I got the sat nav, it tells them." It's like, but you know when you see four hours you go oh that's a long time they just see four colon twelve what's that mean is it long is it is it like have i got time to uh watch five minute cartoon in four twelve it's yeah so that visual starting to hear makes a lot more sense but it's just this realization that i saw as an adult that information was clear but it was that level of understanding my daughter had was not at that level she hadn't concept of hours because she hadn't been a child yet where she sat for hours. And now she's having that learning experience that an hour when you don't want to be in the car is a very long time. Um, and it is, it is. We, but I, I just made these excuses where I I'd, I'd, I'd give information, but my comprehension was just kind of asking them to repeat it back and not actually understanding time or um, closing reasonings or, Anything like that was not understood. Um, and I, I I realized now, but now they're older, I don't need to do as much. But occasionally I will, again, at a time which is suitable for my daughter, emotionally, I will go in and go, right, so we're doing this on Wednesday. Um, and she's got a bit, she's a bit anxious about things and she doesn't like um public places, but we're going to the O2 which is going to be quite stressful for her. So a couple of times as we're leading up to it, I've kind of explained what will happen. So we're going to drive up there, we're going to park here, we're going to go to a restaurant, we're going to go here, we're sitting here, and kind of help her to picture the day. Yeah, so I go there and I do it once and I come back and I go, right, so what are we doing? And she'll tell me it all. I say, are you happy with that? Which bits are you worried about? And it takes, it's not just a one conversation, she's got to process it all think about it but it means that when she gets in the car and we go up there she's more prepared um and it hopefully will be less stressful for her or by having these conversations and me checking her understanding and communicating and she listening hopefully i'll be able to recognize and see when she's not comfortable and work and hopefully she's told me this is a bit I struggle with, um, which takes a lot of self-knowledge to then talk about this is what I'm struggling with. Um, and we can then hopefully do something about it. But at that moment, when she is struggling, she's not in an emotional state to hugely explain. So I've got to try and go back to what she told me when she was in a good emotional state, trying to explain what she is, that's what I can do. Um and we all do this. We all do this. When you get stressed with work, nothing goes in. And the, what comes out doesn't make sense because you're not really thinking about it. You're thinking about one thing and someone's asking you a question and you're just not clear because you're not really processing it all. Um, and, yeah, to me, that modelling of when to have a conversation has been the, probably the best thing I've done with my kids, or I think, or I'm consciously aware of, is, yeah, is fitting in with them and understanding that, um, as an adult to an adult, you will arrange a time to meet up. Yeah. You will. Well, I need to, I need to catch up with you about that. you go, Oh God, yes. Um, Tuesday, Tuesday, great. We'll meet you. We'll have a chat by Tuesday. And you do these things and you arrange times and you, you kind of, you are meet your friend down the pub. So you're mentally preparing for that. But with your children, you just interrupt their lives with your requests.
1: Yeah, we totally expect them to dance to our tune in that regard, you know, that they should be ready when we're ready to do something. Um, and the simple truth is that that's not how they operate at all. Um, of course, we can't make an appointment with them on Tuesday because they won't have remembered that by the time Tuesday comes around. But it's that thing of I need to have this conversation with you. Let's do that, you know, after you have had your shower or, you know, when would be a good time for us to do that this evening? All of those things, I think, make a really
0: and I think it is, I think listening, we are talking about this in the context of just being able to listen. But I think if they can listen and understand, and you learn how to share information with them on a level they understand, it has lots of positive impacts. So we're not just talking about listening for the sake of learning, we're talking about listening to make lives better and more enjoyable and less stressful because if you are having to go do something with your child and you not on the way but you you, okay i gotta do that you can have time to actually talk to them about it and get them to listen um when you get to that moment or you have to go do this thing they understand what's going on more which means um it's taking up less of your time which means you're more emotionally prepared for what's going on. You're paying attention to the world. They're more comfortable. There's lots of benefits, but it all comes from this listening, which we said. Right, I said right at the beginning, which what you gave me, is it, it is a fundamental skill. It is a hugely important skill, but we take it for granted.
1: We do take it for granted. And I think a lot of what you've described, you know, with all of the practical examples that you've given is that, you know, not only do we learn from listening, not only do we improve you know, our experiences when we've listened, but we also deepen the connection with other people. And so even if when you're driving to the O2, your daughter gets stressed out and doesn't know how to handle it, because you've had these conversations and you've listened to her, even if you don't get it right in the moment, it has deepened her trust that you will help her when it goes wrong. Because all of the time that you're listening, you're deepening that connection with her. And that within itself creates a safety net. Um, and that safety net, you know is a really uh, valuable thing.
0: So if we come back to the classroom, it's exactly the same. It's the same skills. We're not doing anything different. It's the same skills everywhere. Um, and hopefully all your parents have listened and your your children in your class have all listened to this, and all your children can listen, but they might not. And it is about slowly teaching these children these skills it's teaching them those four rules and i i was quite it felt horrible but i used to make my children stand with their arms to their side and things like that but it was about getting them to stop what they were doing and I, I do like that is that clapping exercise people do where the teacher claps out of rhythm and all the children stop it is um something's going on i'm getting broken And I quite like, it's it's quite an, it's an attention breaker. I was doing that. The clapping's going, oh, I've got to clap. I've got to pay attention. And now I'm going to listen. It's quite a nice separator and gets them prepared for listening because they're going to receive information. So you've really prepped them for what's about to happen, which is they've got to listen. Um, And your expectations are that, and generally they will pick this up, but it is, you can't just assume this happens. And when you do give that information, that comprehension checking is really important.
1: Yeah. And to some extent, it's about flipping the script from a negative to a positive. So when a child hasn't listened or hasn't understood, rather than telling them off for not listening, it's about talking to them about how they can listen or what might help them to listen in the future. And... um that is how we improve that listening over time. Because if we we could tell a child off for not listening a thousand times and it will have very little effect if we don't equip them with the skills for how to do it differently. Uh, back to your example of saying sorry. When we say sorry, we're saying, I'm sorry for what's happened and I'm going to change my behavior. But if we don't know what we're changing it to, then it's just going to keep happening no. on our feet.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I think you, you have to give them the options. But again, when you tell a child off, so you tell them off for not listening is you're telling them off for not doing a skill they haven't learned how to do. That sounds bonkers. You're telling them off because they can't do something because no one's taught them how. Is and what I think what I think I had his like epiphany moments where I sat there and talked to people and did this thing. I was literally going, yeah, if they can't do it, then that's one thing. If you know they can do it and they're doing it wrong, that's that's a bit just a petulant child, taking a naughty child and trying to get revenge. Or there's something else. But a lot of the time, when you're telling a child off, it's something they don't know how to do. So, um, and
1: I think our and, yeah. our children with SEND are victims of that a huge amount of the time that they are admonished and told off for not doing something that they haven't been shown how to do or or haven't had adequate opportunity to practice or you know whatever the case is and actually the thing that we can change in that situation is what we as the adults are doing if we change what we're doing that is where we're going to see you know the change happen over time and
0: i was just saying about when you know they can do it but they don't i was like well actually even then if you step back and you go so i know they can do this they're not doing it right now and then you, re, then you realize there might be, it might be an emotional overload. Something else might be going on. Something's just happened. So they know how to do it. So they should do it. So why aren't they? And then you realize that something else has happened, which they haven't learned how to cope with. They haven't helped, learned how to regulate their emotions after this thing, which means they were unable to do this. So again, we're now telling them off for something they can't do again.
1: Yeah, but, but also not that, them. How. Yeah, also in that moment, it's recognizing that they need help. So if they're not doing yes. something that they know how to do, then there's something else they need help with. There's something getting in the yes. way of that.
0: Yeah. And it is. It is sometimes in you, emotions are the biggest thing. And um, this happens. I'm a very horizontal, relaxed, logical person. I'll look at an issue. I'll work out the part of the solution and then kind of move on and get on with it. My wife is more emotional. I'm not saying it's a whole female-male thing. My wife just worries about things more than I do. And and I'll be saying things, but she's caught up in her worry. So she's not hearing me. And I'm sitting there going, well, I've told you all the answers. It's just this, this, and this. But she's not hearing because she's emotionally worrying and upset. So no matter how much I talk in that situation, it won't help. What I sometimes have to do, and again, you'll find this with your children, is you have the conversation in that moment. It doesn't really help but you've put the information, in, off. Oh, some of it might go in, but you might have to have a follow-up conversation repeating the exact same information. Um, I find that again with my children. In the moment, it's got not helped. And I feel like I should tell them because it's it's what I should do because that's what's always happened, but actually it's not helping. And I've had times when my daughter's have been rude to me and I've just gone and walked out because nothing I do in that moment is going to be productive for either of us. I've got to come back when they're emotionally ready. And I think for SEN, where they're less, as you said, less control of their emotions, that's going to happen more and more until we support them to be able to control um, those emotions. It's when can that information go in? Absolutely.
1: And what format does that need to be in to enable them to understand the processes? Do we need to reduce the amount of language? Do we need to back it up with some visuals? Do we need to, you know, repeat it several, you know, on several different occasions, you know, to get a few bites of the apple? Um,
0: Yeah. There's one, thing, I've not been a teacher, limited experience, actually um, face-to-face supporting children with SEN, but there was one time it was a children's party. uh, There was a boy who was autistic. He was there. His mum had left. It was all going okay. Uh, he was happy. He was really good. It was like it's a good party. The smoke machine was on. It was great. The music was on. Then the smoke machine set off the fire alarm. Then the fire alarm goes off, and he was suddenly not okay. Promise his mum wasn't there, so it was like phone her. She's a while away. But do you just walk out onto the road with him, or do you stay in the where the noise is, which isn't helping him? But uh, so literally all i only only thing i could do was say to him i can take you outside but only if you hold my hand i need you to hold my hand so i know you've listened to me and you will stay with me and i'm it's safe to take you outside and i said this a few times and i just put my hand there and i said it a couple of times and then his hand held mine yeah i didn't he I, he knows we know each other but it wasn't like a Daughter's best friend, or anything, we know each other. Yeah, I know his mum. So he walked out, and I said, Right, do you want to sit there? I just kept giving him a couple of options, and he always chose one or the other. And in the end, we sat on the step and we waited. His mum came along, and it was all fine. But it was my, 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 by me putting my hand out, that was my comprehension checking. It was, I've given you a choice. Um, I know you don't want to be in here. This is my level of comprehension checking because he couldn't formulate anything. It was I'd chosen an action that he could then take to show I've understood this. Um, Yeah, it was not a great situation for him to be in. It took 20 minutes, half an hour for the fire alarm. Most other kids were just having a hilarious fun because the fire alarm has gone off. How exciting. For him, it was the worst thing ever. Um, And it is, it's sometimes that comprehension checking, especially when someone's, emotionally distressed can take lots of different forms
1: yes it can and it's about uh, in that situation you know your knowledge of the child is limited but in most situations when you're supporting your own child or a child that you're teaching it's using the knowledge you already have of that child knowing how much um, comprehension they generally have how much language they understand what they find helpful um, and as you said that example of giving fixed choices we can do this, or we can do that. Allowing them some control in the situation are all things that are helpful.
0: And I think as a teacher, you might be in that situation where you know this child on a good day. <laughs> Your mum may have told you some of the stories and you're looking at them going, no. And then you have that bad day. That's when you learn, okay, you can learn how what they can cope with. And that is something you probably can't avoid. Because you will make mistakes with that child you won't get it perfectly right and then you'll go through this and again just because the school environment is different to home environments what works at home might not work in school so you will do these but it is learning from them and at a level appropriate to them helping them kind of find their way out of it even if it is just leaving having that giving them a safe place to go to yeah and showing them Go here, and then you come back when you're ready, or things like that. Obviously, not unattended.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it's also about <laughs> making sure that you completely present yourself in a way that gives the message, "I'm here to help." But the tone of your voice, the body language, the things that you're saying—that everything is creating a comfortable, safe, approachable adult, so that even if they don't know what to do, you know, there, there is some offer of reassurance there that you are there to help and that you'll work it out together.
0: So, we've been talking about listening for an hour. Do you think anybody's listening? Everyone. I was going to make a listening joke. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) (laughs) Dale. Everyone's listening about being listening. I wonder how many zoned off onto their own stories while they were listening. Um, Is there anything else we've missed? Anything you want to add in?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that's you know being really clear about what listening looks like, breaking that down. Modeling it as much as possible, playing Captain Obvious, as I said, really spelling things out, but also giving really clear praise makes a big difference. You know, Saying, I know you're listening to me because you're looking at me. Thank you for turning the TV down so that you can listen to me. Being really clear about, you know, when we're giving praise rather than just saying good listening, describe what that listening looks like. These are all, you know, uh, moments that build up to deepening our understanding of what listening is.
0: And I've talked about a lot about choosing when to have conversations from the point of a parent is think about that as you're in your teaching. If you just set them yourself on a really cool, practical task with elastic bands and things flying across the classroom, don't say go and then two minutes later, try and get their attention back.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think I think the greatest trap we fall into as adults is also the order in which we give the instructions. So saying things like, before you get your maths book, I need you to get a ruler out and put your coat on your peg, and then we might think about doing this thing. But the order of those instructions is all jumbled up. It's not clear what they need to do in what order. And in that sense, no matter how well a child's tried to listen, it's very difficult to follow instructions that are not clear.
0: Yeah. And if it is a case of you've just started a really good activity, you've got to give them a really key bit of information, which will mean it will fail, maybe let them fail for 10 minutes and then tell them rather than trying to interrupt them. Because I think it is that emotional. If they've really dived into what they're doing, they're not going to listen. They're not going they to want to listen. You going to take a what so it's yeah, choosing. Most of the time you're hopefully not that hugely emotional in school that uh, it should be generally quite simple and normal. But there will be times so not just as they're about to go out for lunch, try and get them to listen for a really in-depth thing. <laughs> choose your timings and think about um as a as a person when do you listen best and think about your partner when do they listen best is it the same as you is it um I'm I'm not a morning person my wife is we're different but when is when are good times for listening and think about that when you're working um when is it a good time for the meetings all those sorts of things cuz actually what you could find out is if we completely change the whole school day up in a completely different way, it might be so much more effective, because that's when we all listen, we've chosen the bog standard way, which has worked for the last 150 years for no scientific reason, apart from that's just the way we did it, and that's what we're stuck with. It doesn't but mean e- it's right. Yeah, but
1: even within that structure, there are things like thinking about the amounts of time children are sitting down for, the length of the activities. All of those are things that will impact on their ability to listen.
0: I always like those things which show a three-hour workshop and my children can only concentrate for 15 minutes. <laughs> you're like, it's not just children. Don't do three hours. So we, we, we've done lots of online training now, which is in five, 10-minute chunks for our software. Because we know that your teachers, you're busy. You're not going to listen to watch a video of me for an hour. Let's do it in five-minute chunks so you can digest it. And especially if you think at the end of the day, you're a teacher, you've worked all day, you're going to go into the staff room, and are you really listening at the end of the day? Or are you just there uh, planning in your head? Are you doing your shopping in your head? going, What do I need? Are you really m- emotionally in that room? Or are you just physically in that room? And if we do that, the kids are doing that. The kids are looking out the window because um, another group's already out for lunch, whatever. Just think about, Those emotions and are they actually ready to listen? You're so right. But it is. It's just lots of things. I did. I think it was um Lord Baker, mentor of the Baker Day. Um, he still works in education, and he just sit there and he did his talk. Um, a beast a day, British Educational Suppliers Association. It was literally going. We're using the fundamentals of our education system and times and dates and things like that. Is just was plucked from somebody who did it in the Victorian era, and we've stuck with it. The age we change schools, all of this stuff isn't, we're not doing it for a scientific reason. It's just, it's the way somebody decided. And it might not be the best. So I I just think of things like that, that we're stuck with certain things. It's the way we've always done it, it is not always the right thing to do. And yeah, I think we can, I think we can do much better. Um, But I do think we have to be a lot more aware of. Our assumptions about the person who's listening.
1: Yes, we definitely do. We need to have a deeper understanding of how much they've understood from what we've said and how to help them. And I think we learn that sometimes through trial and error, but that's okay. Keep trying.
0: Yes, and it is trial and error. And you might get these epiphany moments and you'll still get it wrong, but that's fine. Because <laughs> you'll get it wrong. I, I'm saying I've, I've learned all these amazing things I'm talking to my guests and learned all this stuff about development. I go home and I'll still get it completely wrong because my emotion got involved. I mean, my daughter's wound well me up. She can. I don't do it the right way, but that's life. Um, so thank you for coming on the show today, Sarah.
1: Thanks so much, Dale. It's been a good conversation and always good to speak to you.
0: Uh, it's, always, it's, always, it's always great to podcast with you.
1: Great. So people can find me at confidentkids.co. And, um, you know, loads of information on the websites of other places to find me as well.
0: I thought she miffed off the UK, but it is .co. No, it's .co. If you're not new yet. It's a new one. It's a .co. <laughs> so, and the rest, no, it's .co. But yeah, I'll put those. You'll see the um, Sarah's contact details in the show notes, which you'll find wherever you listen to the pod- podcast or on our websites. Thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You'll find the links to subscribe across all the different podcast platforms on our website and follow us on social media. We are at the Sendcast on Twitter, on Facebook, the Sendcast on Instagram, the Sendcast. Quite imaginative. Um, and please use social media to share the Sendcast with others. Show me that you've listened. Um, before we go, I would just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B Squared, as well as the podcast. We have our online CPD platform, Training for Education, where you will find a number of our guests on the podcast, our speakers at our virtual Send conferences, or they've recorded their own training courses. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND. It is online, it is always available, and all staff can access the content. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com for more information. And lastly, don't forget all our assessment products. This is what B Squared is known for. It's what lots of schools use us for. We help schools show the small steps of progress pupils with SEND make we do have speaking and listening assessment not just reading and writing we cover a huge range from early years to post 16 and preparing for adulthood visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information so thank you for listening we'll be back soon with another episode of the sendcast it's goodbye from me and goodbye from
1: me as well thanks so much Dale. cheers bye